0: Welcome back to the Modern Life Podcast. This is your host Tabby and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Modern Life Pod, visit the website at ModernLifePodcast.com, and email us at modernlifepod at gmail.com. Jackie is my guest today, and I want to thank her for talking with me about Bridgerton. Not only has she read the eight-part book series, but her knowledge of the time period really helped me in understanding the Netflix show. I'm so excited for you to listen to all her fun facts about Queen Charlotte, and what it's like to come out to society in the Regency era. If, like me, you're wondering about the future of the Bridgerton siblings, Jackie's here to tell us a little bit more about what we have to look forward to. So, as always, this is your spoiler warning, but this time not just for the Shondaland series, but also Julia Quinn's books. You can find Jackie and her adorable cat, Letty, on Instagram at bookswithjacks. that is Jacks with an X, and as always, you can find this information in the show notes as well. Thank you for listening.
1: Dear reader, if there is the scandal, I shall uncover it. It is more than just your honor at stake. You think that just because I'm a woman, I'm incapable of making my own choices? There is nothing you cannot do.
0: You are a Bridgerton. Alrighty, hello everyone. I have Jackie here with me. Jackie, thank you for joining us today for this episode.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited.
0: Jackie, what is your modern thought? What is your interesting thing you have for us today?
1: So, I thought about this long and hard, and I originally was going to talk about something about historical romance, and how people um, belittle it all the time. But after last week, I just felt like it was a little too unimportant. <laughs> so my modern thought is that I don't understand this assumption that free speech means that you're free from repercussions in the United States. With everything that's happening politically, people keep yelling, free speech, free speech. And I'm just like, get an education, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, well, and the people
0: um, who propagate this stuff who try to rile up other people like that, Senator Josh Hawley who's lost his book Mm -hmm. deal and is now crying about free speech on his Twitter account. He has a degree from, he has a law degree. He knows what he's saying is incorrect. (laughs) So he has an education. He just does not choose to use it.
1: (laughs) But I grew up around people like that who put so much Hmm. um, emphasis on free speech. And I'm like, yeah, you can say what you want. And, you know, the government can't dictate what you say but it doesn't mean that you're not going to have to suffer backlash from it. So I really think that maybe the history books need to be rewritten so that people actually understand what this means. You know, it's just, it's so annoying to constantly hear people throw out things like free speech, but yet not understand the mm-hmm. underlying you know what it really means. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, there are laws, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's not free speech. <laughs> it's like false advertisement. You can't just say what you want to say and then not have repercussions because it's not all one in the same. So I think it's time that the people of America are re educated. And that is my modern thought. <laughs> that is a
0: very good one. Yes, this is all in response to the capital riots that kind of just happened um before we we're recording this podcast this week. And I think another great thing that you bring up is that free speech, it, it describes your relationship to the government. It does not necessarily describe relationships between citizens, because the entire idea around free speech is that there's not a monarch who can throw you into jail for saying you don't like, you know, his shoes or whatever. So that's the idea behind
1: it. And it it also doesn't govern your, you know, between like corporations. So Mm -hmm. that's why anytime you're hired in your contract, you have a morality clause. because if you do something they can fire you
0: (laughs) oh interesting yeah that's a good point yeah yeah that's a really good one thank you for bringing that up um so mine is kind of related to bridgerton actually i found this article yesterday and it is from the 6th of january so it just came out it's written by julia fiore and it was on the cnn website The title is The Sorted Truth Behind Degas' Ballet Dancer. Um, Edgar Degas, being the Impressionist painter, he drew over 1,500 drawings of ballet dancers, which I'm sure everyone has seen at least one of those paintings. Um, But the article goes into how these depictions of dancers, of opera singers, of these types of female workers in the artistic field It wasn't like a cute thing. These were very low-class women who had great talent and then were scouted for that and made dependent on the theater or the opera company. And sex work pretty much always went along with that. Even even if you kind of abstained from it, everyone would have thought you participated in it just by being in that field. And the sponsors Mm -hmm. of the opera and the ballet would hang out in the back warm-up area to proposition the dancers and it was almost considered part of their privilege for, well, I'm giving money to, you know, the opera so now I get to hang out with these dancers and they're dependent on me. And the culture was a lot more insidious and I think Bridgerton kind of goes into that a little bit, the really unhealthy power dynamics around that. So. Degas painted not really a lot of scenes of actual performances, but a lot of these backstage scenes. And he was a famous misogynist, which I had no idea about. So he would make these women be in those poses for hours. And I don't know how much say they had in, you know, consenting to posing for these paintings. And he's famously also described women as little more than animals. And it it just kind of brought a new to me on these famous paintings that everybody loves and you know everybody loves ballerinas and I didn't really realize that the culture of sex work was so prevalent
1: mm-hmm. so that's actually really common in historical romance novels oh really um yeah women who are opera singers actresses dancers are the most commonly also mistresses and that you know, is where in historical romance, where the the lords find their mistresses is in the theater at the opera, um, etc. So um, that's very common in historical romance.
0: Yeah, I didn't, re- I guess I didn't realize how expected it was of them to participate in that culture and how they had really very little choice in the matter.
1: Yeah, and that's the biggest reason that in historical romances, you always read about the mamas being horrified at the daughters who, you know, may want to dance or or act or things like that is because the connotation of that second job. Yeah, they're they're considered of a lower not just a lower class but a lower moral class.
0: Hmm. Thank you. I you have all the knowledge here. That's why I have you on. <laughs> So, we're going to dive into the main topic, Bridgerton, and I'm just going to give a quick summary of the show. So, it's a new Netflix show by Shonda Rhimes. It's based on a book series by Julia Quinn. The story is set in the Regency period and focuses on the eight Bridgerton siblings, particularly for this first season on Daphne, the fourth child, and her romance with Duke Simon. Daphne has just come out to London society with great success, but her overbearing brother and the anonymous gossip columnist Lady Whistledown are hindering her chances at making a successful match. Simon, a single man of high rank, unwillingly becomes a target of every single lady of London, so the two hatch a plan that will benefit them both. Pretending to have a serious courtship will make Daphne more desirable to other suitors and discourage women from pursuing Simon. Of course, as with every fake dating situation, which is one of my favorite romance tropes, the two develop feelings for one another and end up marrying in the end. Another significant part of the show are the Bridgerton's neighbors, the Featherington family, which are all a bunch of colorful characters, literally. Um, The mother is not only desperate to get her three daughters married off, but also to find a match for her husband's distant cousin Marina, who shockingly shows up already pregnant but unwed. Um, There's a lot going on in this show, but Jackie, you're very familiar with this book series, and each novel focuses on a different Bridgerton finding their HEA. How do you think the show did with generally interweaving these storylines and trying to bring these books to life in a more patchwork fashion instead of just focusing on one couple
1: on one hand i 100 percent see why they need to do that a lot of times with books it's like inner monologue and that's not something you can really address on screen Hmm. in order to keep you know you can't just have focus on the two main characters and not have side characters in a tv show so, I think interweaving all the siblings and some of their stories, you know, I think they did a fairly good job. The only thing I take real, like, umbrage with is how they treated Anthony as far as her siblings go, because they totally changed his character. And I think that is an underlying issue I have across the board with the show, is them changing who these characters are inherently. So
0: you, I remember you saying that Anthony in the books is a little nicer and a little bit more a responsible, nicer. a lot nicer. Mm. Yeah.
1: So Anthony in the book, he is the eldest. He takes that role seriously, mm. but he's kind. He never treats Daphne like he does in the show. First of all, in the beginning of the book, it's actually Daphne's second season. Oh. It is not her first season. <laughs> She is not a diamond of the first water. She is a girl next door who all the men think is a great chum, but don't go after. How interesting. So that, that is a big change that they made as far as Daphne goes. So, Anthony, he's so supportive of her. He has allowed her to refuse four men because, in his words, she's been a good sister to me. So why wouldn't I let her try to find happiness Hmm. and even Simon says to him not a lot of brothers would be so lenient with their sisters and there's none of this Sienna stuff (laughs) in the book and I'm trying to remember if it's in the second one Um, it's been longer since I've reread the second one but he's just not like that because he ends up with a woman named Kate and Kate is just fantastic and so I'm I'm going to be very interested to see what the show does in the second season because he's so unlikable in the first mm-hmm, season that mm-hmm. I don't know how they're going to redeem him enough to be good enough for Kate.
0: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think the um, Anthony and Sienna storyline was not only the weakest, but was the one that made the least sense to me because there was a constant yeah. back and forth between are you my sponsor, or are we a legit couple? And the legit couple stuff mm-hmm. to me was a very modern twist on it that I could not put into that world. I could not understand why a viscount would ever expect this woman to attend a, a ball, you know, with him, or or why she would expect him to be dedicated to her only. She would know that he would have to marry. And this constant back and forth yeah. between them, it, it got a little tired and also their relationship seemed to be physical only in nature so there wasn't a lot for me to
1: root for (laughs) Mm -hmm. it just wasn't realistic I mean and I I realized that Bridgerton's as a show is fantasy it's definitely fantasy I mean the book is too obviously but that dynamic just wouldn't happen not even in historical romance Mm -hmm. novels. It would be a really far-fetched historical romance novel. But Anthony's character, he would never do that to his family. Because as we find out in book two, he is very devoted and determined to be the best father slash brother Hmm. and head of the family that he can be because he doesn't he feels like he's going to die at the same time his father did. Oh, interesting! Um, it, it's a yeah, it's it's a whole mental health thing that he has going on, you know, because he was so affected by his father dying.
0: Do you want to actually tell people how mm-hmm. his father died and how that ties into the bee we keep seeing on the show?
1: Yeah, I thought the bee was really cute. I thought it was really (laughs) sweet, but also kind of, yikes. So (laughs) their father is allergic to bees, and he gets stung by a bee, and then he dies. And so Anthony has this fear. Well, his father was such a larger-than-life figure in his life that he just cannot fathom doing anything better or longer than his father. Oh, interesting. yeah, and, and seeing this giant of men to him fall by a tiny little bee hmm. just really messes with him.
0: <laughs> That's more interesting and, than uh, what they came up with for the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it, it really does mess with him, but he is just determined to do everything right until that point in time when he dies. <laughs> you know, he's like living to die for a really long time, and and then he meets Kate, and the second book is kind of a Taming of the Shrew um, re-adaptation, so it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I think also the thing with (laughs) with Anthony that I felt was a missed opportunity was his friendship with Simon, and I don't know what their dynamic is Um, in the book. I thought they had so many great moments in the show, the best part being the duel and also the reconciliation at the wedding. Just the energy of that duel where Anthony's just shaking because he knows he has to kill his friend who's not even pointing the gun at him. But then again, there was too much back and forth of almost like this will they, won't they. Like they're going to fight again, then they're best friends again, then they're fighting. It was a little too repetitive and I wanted, I guess, just a more steady, meaningful relationship between these two after... Daphne and Simon got married.
1: I agree. I think they really dumbs down Simon's character. And they really, you know, and they really made Anthony this huge, like, jerk hmm. compared to in the book. So in the book, there's a scene with the two of them at their club. And they're joking around. You can tell they're very much kind of like brothers joking around talks about Anthony holding Simon's head in the toilet and <laughs> then Simon, you know, getting him back by putting eels in his bed. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> you know, co- things that you'd expect to hear about boys off at a boarding school type, <laughs> you know, joking around and friendship and whatnot. And then Simon is super intelligent. He took a first at Oxford in mathematics.
0: Oh, interesting. In the book.
1: And so in the show, they don't address any of that stuff with him. And that goes back to my issue of a a lack of characterization. They really took these characters and just boiled them down to their basic lust. You know, I am a longtime historical romance fan, But I've never been a fan of the books that are more sex than story. Mm -hmm. I need, you know, I need that story. And I I want these characters to have more story. And I felt like they cut out a lot of who Simon is, a lot of who Daphne is and Anthony is in favor of these characters like Sienna and Marina, who just weren't needed. Hmm. That's an interesting point.
0: I guess I didn't know what I was missing, you know, because I hadn't read the books. And you you're talking about all these very fascinating scenes that Julia Quinn has created. And I'm like, Oh, I wish they had put that in there. Now that I hear you talking about them.
1: Well, the one thing I will say anyone who's watched the show and loves it, I don't get me wrong, I love it too. And when I first watched it, I was just, so ecstatic to see Something like this on TV Even with all the changes I was like I don't care I love it I love that they're putting this on TV And I love what they've done with it When I watched it a second time That's when the changes really kind of Started jumping out at me mm-hmm. And it doesn't change That I still love the show um, Because I can compartmentalize them Into two separate entities But at the same time the one thing that bugs me is the characters and it lacks the wit that Julia Quinn has mm. in her writing, like how Daphne and Simon meet is funny and quirky and just shows how intelligent they both are and shows that spark between the two of them. So people who watch the show, the one thing I would say is, is that a lot of people are like, oh, I don't need to read the book because I watched the show. I'm just going to start a book to I highly recommend book one. It'll help when watching and reading the next set of mm. books or show. And if you read nothing else, read the scene where Daphne and Simon meet because it's pure gold.
0: Now that the show came out, I feel like there's this second wind of people buying them and loaning them from the library. Mm. and Which is interesting because it's an older book series. And it's almost kind of what happened with game of thrones is happening now with bridgerton which as you said it is such a big deal because not only romance but period dramas do not get this kind of budget you're going to see the same costumes again and again (laughs) on different actors Um, and just the amount of work that went into this i mean there's a scene where the mom featherington brings marina Mm -hmm. to the slums and as I'm watching this, I'm like, am I going to see these slums again? Because I have a feeling I won't. And that was the only scene in there. Maybe a two minute scene of them being in these slums. And just the thought of them erecting this entire set with a trained rat and all these extras in costume <laughs> just for that one scene. I was like, oh, okay, this is a different ball game and sets precedent, hopefully, for other. Romance series and for historical drama.
1: Mm -hmm. I love what they did with the costumes. I won't lie. I don't care that they're not 100% historically accurate. Again, I kind of view this as like fantasy. And I love it. I read the other day that the costume department, they took the silhouettes of the time period and then added the current trend in haute couture to it for like fabrics and and style and stuff to kind of make them more modern and that's why we have these flowery colorful like dresses that are just so amazing (laughs) yeah
0: i have so much to say about about the costumes because it didn't feel like somebody not doing their research. It felt like a costume department that was very well versed in dresses and wardrobe of that time period and then was like, I, I did my research, like we have the base canvas and now we're just gonna have fun and have a good time. Mm-hmm. And there's so much going on that contributes to making this real while also firmly saying, no, this is a fantasy. I mean, the costumes are just so gorgeous. I I could have a whole episode just about the queen's wigs. (laughs) She has this like... Oh my gosh. The natural hair, the pink wig, her berry lipstick that she wouldn't be wearing, but it just works with all the different looks Mm -hmm. that she has. And then also something I really, really loved was her very old school outfits. These 1700 gowns with the wide skirts and the Watteau pleated train in the back. It's just perfect for this character.
1: So funny backstory on that. <laughs> queen Charlotte loved the dress from when she became queen, which is what she's wearing in the show that century before dress. So there, that was kind of, I think, Wardrobe's nod to Queen Charlotte's obsession with the pannier's. And that style of dress. So she did hold on to that style of dress. And so the court dresses, like when Daphne in the show, she's going to be presented at court, are actually inaccurate. Because in real life, when you were presented to Queen Charlotte, they had the Empire style dresses, but you had to wear the hoop skirts and the panniers underneath it. So the court dresses were these ridiculous looking like bell dresses Mm -hmm. because it's like this empire, but it wasn't a straight line. It was, you know, they had to have these hoops underneath and these hoop skirts. So because she was obsessed with that. So I think that her court and her wearing the previous time periods dress was kind of their nod to queen charlotte and her eccentricity. oh my god
0: that is so fascinating like i thought this was just like a stylistic choice that the show came up with and i was like wow it's beautiful and i had no idea that queen charlotte had this thing about these old dresses that is absolutely fascinating
1: (laughs) well it's kind of cool because i live in a city and a county named after her so um seeing her, you know, in the show. And, you know, I already know some things about her because of that. So um, it, it's kind of cool to have her in the show. And, oh, my and see God. Her in it and see her be diverse, even though that's just like a rumor, but because I live in a very diverse city. So I think that's really cool.
0: Especially as a German, I never get to see Germans who are people of color on the screen. It's always your whitest you know, guy in a Nazi uniform yelling schnell, schnell. So when I see people oh, like gosh, yeah. like Taika Waititi playing a German or Queen Charlotte now, I just get so excited. I'm like, yes, like we are a diverse continent and group of mm-hmm. people. And even if it is a fantasy version of that, it's just so, so satisfying to watch. Another thing I, that ties into that that I really loved is when... Marina is first introduced on the show and the mom says oh she's just you know some farmer's daughter like how great could she be and then this black young woman walks in with natural hair and everybody's jaw just drops and it's just that she as a black woman is allowed to be not just beautiful but naturally perceived as that by every you know everyone around her when I watched that scene, I got, like, tears in my eyes because was, it was just such a great, like, Shonda Rhimes, pure drama moment. <laughs> I was like, I wish mm-hmm. we had that more often.
1: I know. I, I love that the choices they made with that. And I love how they explain it in the show. Um, yes, it's just one yes. quick little scene of Lady Danbury talking to Simon. And, you know, she's like, you know, because our king decided to love one of us, we now have these opportunities and, you know, and he's like, well, he could just as easily take it away. But that's kind of like that small little snippet of why it's so diverse, but then they don't address it and he, nothing else about it's addressed. There's no, it's never questioned. There's no, yeah, it's just normal. Yeah, You know, everybody yeah. is just normal. And I love that because so many times when people try to create shows movies or books with a quote-unquote diverse cast or they always address it they don't even in the show i don't think even address penelope being bigger than the other girls not really
0: they have one Um, comment in the in the first episode about that
1: yeah but it's it's not overt and normally that would be something that people would play up really big. That's so true. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in seeing how they do her glow up that she gets. Because she does lose two stone, loses her acne and all that other stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Because she's like the character of my heart. <laughs> yeah, she was <laughs> and, my favorite character and, for sure. Yeah, I love her. So I hope that they keep her the way she is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing with pen it, it kind of reminded me of you know how in every rom-com they'll cast like Julia Roberts or somebody like that and then somebody really beautiful then they're like oh I'm the clumsy one who never gets a date and I'm like I don't believe you <laughs> like that's how I felt about pen <laughs> like not getting any suitors cuz they're like oh she wears these ugly dresses and blah 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 and I'm like I have Eyes in my head. That actress playing Pen is literally the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Like you're you're talking about like her glow up, and I don't know how much more beautiful this woman can get because she was just such a <laughs> ray of light on the show. Like I just loved her so much.
1: Yeah, and so in the books, Penelope is brought out to sing. Ah. Eloise was allowed to have more time, but Mama Featherington. Uh, was not having it Hmm. she was getting her daughters out as young as possible um, and throwing them out there I think in early in this episodes maybe episode one or two she says can't I just study Mm -hmm. more for a year and wait a year because she hadn't you know in the book she hadn't lost her baby fat yet You know, she was still a baby. She's still so young. And her mother brought her out too soon. And so that kind of plagues her.
0: Another thing that really threw me off about that is the actress who plays Eloise. She's around my age. She's in her early 30s, but she's supposed to be a lot younger. And I always wondered why they put her in these kid-sized dresses the whole season. But then towards the end, they have an episode where the mom goes, we're going to lower your hem like you're going to be a woman now. And it was just another one of those instances where I thought oh the show doesn't know what it's doing but it it does know what it's doing <laughs> like it has dialogue about all these specific things in there about the coming out about the different clothes you would wear like in regards to pen like one of my favorite lines of the show is when she's in the drawing room like reading and her mom goes put that book down it'll confuse your thoughts <laughs> <That's> so funny <laughs>
1: I think that's actually in the book too. Oh really? <laughs> or one of the books. <laughs> I do, I really think it is um, because it seems really familiar but well the thing is, is is Mama Featherington comes across as this I mean she's very kind of conniving and and everything in the show but she's also not wrong necessarily you know what i mean it's like oh i was on her side
0: the the whole way even when she was forging that (laughs) letter i was like we have to do what we have to do here like team mom
1: (laughs) it's true well and in the book mama featherington and mama b they're friends mama bridgerton which i think is interesting that they kind of made them not and you can definitely tell that the featheringtons are well i think they made her a lady in in the show Or maybe, or an honorable. They made her an honorable, I think. Yeah, something like that, um, yeah. They're, like, supposed to be new money. And Mm. you can kind of see how they did that in the show. The Bridgetons, they're very muted in color. Whereas when you look at the Featheringtons, they're bright, they're bold, they're shiny. And then if you look at their home, you know, the walls of their home are green. Their couch is green. It's bright. It's shiny. They kind of pitted them against each other through... The sets and, and things. So I thought that was really interesting. And I'm excited to see how that plays out. Yeah. Considering what happens with Penn later on in the stories. I mean, I guess this is okay for spoilers at this yes. point, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what happens with Penn? Should I spoil it? Well, her storyline,
0: her HEA, I'm assuming, is with Colin, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait to see that yeah. because they're both. Just wonderful people. And that's definitely the thing I'm looking forward to the most in the next season.
1: It's my favorite book. Oh, really? It is my favorite Bridgerton. So I thought it was really interesting. They address, like, you know, how you're talking about putting in the other siblings' storylines into this first series. Mm-hmm. They address Benedict's drawing, which in the books you don't see until his book. You know nothing about that until his book. Um, but they didn't address Colin's writing. Colin's oh, a writer. Oh, interesting. So, right. Well, and of course he ends up with Penn, who as we know in the show is outed as Whistledown, mm. which I thought was really weird because it, it feels like they're fast forwarding time, like they're doing these storylines much faster because Penn doesn't get outed for like 10 more years. She gets outed in Colin, in her and Colin's book, which is the, fourth book, I want to say. So it's really interesting. They seem to kind of be pushing up these timelines. I'm wondering if maybe because all of Julia Quinn's books are in the same universe. So she has other series and standalones that take place in this world. Oh, I didn't know that. She has a series yeah, about the Smith Smythe girls, um, which you haven't seen in the show yet, but they're in as kind of like a side thing in all of Julia Quinn's novels because it's the famous Smith Smythe musical where they're all terrible. (laughs) So I'm wondering, because I saw the tweet where they said they're doing eight seasons, but in order to do all those eight seasons, they're going to have to have all these extra secondary characters. So I'm hoping they pull from Julia Quinn's other novels, and you know, instead of you know, I mean, Marina, she is briefly in the fifth novel, but they gave her this whole storyline that made no sense, and I don't know how they're going to rectify it.
0: Yeah, let's so go. I'm let's go that, into Marina a little bit. I I think yeah. that storyline had a lot to say about the politics at the time, um, and also ties into that theme of women not really knowing how children come to be and what are the consequences for that. I think when that storyline kind of lost me a little bit was at the end when that really nice guy, the brother, shows up and is like, hey, I'm gonna make this right and marry you, which is kind of a big sacrifice. And I was like, oh, yeah, go with this guy. And then Her decision to say no to that at first was, again, to me, one of those very modern choices that I think a lady living at that time would have jumped at that without a second thought, just to kind of save herself in that situation.
1: Oh, a lady at that time in her position would have taken that old man that Mama Fetterington threw out her earlier. (laughs) Like, there's no way she would have held out. yeah. The whole thing with Marina is, I felt it was unnecessary. I would have loved to have had more of the actual family character stuff than the Marina stuff. So, in the books, Marina is Sir Philip's first wife, which is who she goes off with in the end, right? Is mm-hmm. Sir Philip. But I don't know if it's like postpartum depression or, or what her issue is, but in the books, she drowns herself and kills herself. Oh, wow. Yeah, and she is Eloise's cousin. She's a Bridgerton cousin, like a, you know, second, third cousin, whatever, not Penelope's. And that is why Eloise starts writing to Sir Philip. She hears that her cousin died, and so she writes to him to give her condolences, etc. And he writes back, and they start this whole writing back and forth. So, you know, and that's her happily ever after, right? She ends up with Sir Philip. I don't know how they're going to play that out now because Eloise no longer has a reason to write him.
0: Well, and I also hope that so, they don't kill this poor woman off after have her commit <laughs> well, suicide. Right?
1: So, I mean, I'm assuming Marina's going to die or they're going to have to give Eloise a whole new storyline with a whole new person. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Mm. <laughs>
0: mm.
1: I don't know what their plans are, so I can only guess at things but yeah but the whole marina thing i like i sympathized with her but at the same time i did not like how she treated penelope i really really was just not a fan because i'm so pro penelope and i would have done what penelope did i talked to some people who think that what she did was awful and terrible by outing Marina to the world. And I'm like, listen, somebody comes after, you know, whether I have a crush on Colin or not, he is my friend. You know, if I was Penelope and if someone was going to trap him like that, as you know, and he wouldn't listen to me and she wouldn't listen to me, you best believe if I had that power as Lady Whistledown, I'd be outing her too. And I would not Feel bad about it at all. (laughs) That is one of those
0: moments in the show where it perfectly illustrates what is going on in that time period and that everybody is right. You know, Marina is doing the best thing she can in that moment for herself, for her child and i'm like yeah this sucks but you have to do what you have to do i'm um, again i'm also siding with the mom uh, i'm siding with penelope in that mm-hmm. situation uh, I, I think that's a great writing moment too where everybody is just right <laughs> and everybody's mm-hmm. at odds with one another yet you can see everybody's point and there's not just a one clear you know villain twirling their mustache it's a complicated situation
1: yeah and Actually, what I did like what they did with Marina is I liked the storyline with her and Daphne. Oh, when yeah. And Daphne has her come over so Colin could have, you know, those last words with her. And as Marina's talking, you just see this light bulb moment with yeah. Daphne where mm-hmm. she's like, she's not very different from me. We're just doing what we have to do to survive and to get, you know, the best that we can in life. And I thought that was really interesting and, and I thought some good writing and yeah. good acting. Yeah,
0: agreed. Absolutely. Um, I had one more thing to say about the actress who plays Eloise. She does so much face acting and making jerky movements with her body. She's so quirky and I'm not normally a mm-hmm. fan of that and this girl just mesmerized me. Every time she was <laughs> on screen, she was electrifying. You couldn't stop watching her. She was such a pleasure to watch on the show and like everything she did just totally worked for me. Like maybe she's not the right age to be on the show, but she was the perfect pick for that role. Did you like her, as Eloise, or would you have picked somebody different? Sure.
1: No, I love her. And I think what they did with her hair was to make her look younger, even though I hate it. Yeah. But um, I think it was to give her that air of being a teenager, even though in real life she's 31. Um, But I loved her. I thought she really captures the quirky and awkwardness that Mm -hmm. Eloise has um, while she's younger. Once she comes out and everything, she really comes into her own. Hmm. And she's never without a dance partner. She's seen as being, you know, tip-top of society. But she's still inherently who she is, which is a blue stocking. And so (laughs) I know that this actress is going to be able to make that transition because she's in that Amazon uh, Vanity Fair miniseries. Oh, yes, I haven't seen that so Good, and I love that I've hated every adaptation of Vanity Fair until I watched this one. Oh, interesting!
0: <laughs> interesting, I'll have to check that out. I have only seen the one with um, was it Reese Witherspoon?
1: Yes, that was terrible. Oh, okay, <laughs> sorry for anybody listening who loved it, I just feel like that was trash. And I love Reese Witherspoon, but she was not the girl for that movie. <laughs> but yeah, miniseries, way better.
0: Another person I had a lot to say about was Prince Friedrich because Mm. both me and my mother thought this guy was a German actor and then we looked it up. It's not until he says like one German word that I was like, wait a minute, this guy doesn't actually speak German, like how is he so good at this accent? Again one of those things where, I think it's the same with the Russian accents too, where you only hear really bad versions of it. And this guy did such mm-hmm. a great job. And definitely, like, I fell completely in love with him. I was like, go with this guy. <laughs> like, I thought he was so great.
1: Yeah, that's one of those characters that, again's not in the book. Not in the book, But yeah. I really enjoyed.
0: People are hoping now that he will come back and get his own HEA. That's how popular he was. And I was like, I don't think that the writers... I think they thought of him as this like little side character and now he ends up having this huge like following online.
1: <laughs> like I've only reread the first 4 books. I haven't read the last 4 yet as because I started rereading in early December before the show mm. came out, but so I but I don't think if, I mean it's been 20 years since I have read them, but I don't think that I don't think he's he's anywhere in there's no princes gotcha in In the the bridgerton family Mm. that's one of those side characters that i was totally in for i liked that
0: yeah another really interesting detail that i had no idea about was every time they show the palace it's in a state of like remodel and i googled it Mm -hmm. and and that's what happened during that time period and it's another one of those things where i was like they didn't have to include that Like, most Mm period dramas would not have had the budget for that CGI to, you know, put all the scaffolding on the outside. And it's like, that's interesting that somebody actually did the research and they're like, no, we have to include this in the show. But then the only one thing that did not work for me was that they kept saying, like, it's the London season and they kept showing me footage of the Royal Crescent yeah. and Bath. I don't know why that just really jarred. They showed like Simon galloping to the duel and he's like, you know, making the round in the Royal Crescent. I'm like, where are you right now?
1: Yeah, that was that was a bit I'm guessing that due to COVID <laughs> they couldn't film in London. Oh my yeah. guess is it was easier to film in Bath and cheaper to film in Bath. And that is why they did that. I I mean, and I think this is kind of a theme with the show, is they underestimate the intelligence of their audience um, a bit in the show. And I think that's one of those moments where they've underestimated their American audience.
0: Yes, because um, it's a pretty well-known <laughs> landmark. Like, it's not just any street, it's the Royal Crescent <laughs>
1: Right, exactly. It, and, and then they do a lot of shots of Bath, that, and it's just kind of like London, and it's like, no. Yeah,
0: <laughs> which is so <laughs> funny because it. because they get it right with so many other things like that palace remodel, mm-hmm. and I think you're onto something here because all the Bath stuff seems to be secondary footage that was shot later, and I'm wondering if it mm-hmm. does have something to do with it either being too expensive or COVID, or I think you you might be right about that, that it m- might just be like a technical studio thing that they had to do.
1: Yeah. That's the only thing I could come up with as to why it would be so blatantly just off <laughs> is, is it had to be something to do with lockdown or mm-hmm. budgetary concerns or something mm-hmm. because otherwise, why wouldn't you just do the footage in London? Yeah you know, Hyde Park or, you know, at the very least, you know, have them ride through Hyde Park or whatever. So I don't know. And I totally love the part that, you know, like you were saying that they got right about the palace being under construction and stuff. And the whole King and Queen stuff, even though it was kind of like this, Secondary storyline, but not even secondary. It's kind of like tertiary. You know, yeah. It was like
0: Um, one scene, and it hit me so hard in the feels. (laughs) Just that one scene they had.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and then it's like when he has that lucid moment, and then he asks for Amelia, and then loses his mind, Mm -hmm. and you know, that's real. That happened. Oh, really? Um, When Uh his wow. Yeah, so Princess Amelia is their youngest child, and um she died. And that was what sent the king into his final madness mm. that he never recovered from, mm. because he loved her so much, and he was always looking for her. And so to see them kind of include that little tidbit was just... Well, it was heartbreaking, but at the same time, it's just another piece of history that they kind of throw in there that's actually kind of real. And she was their third to die. They had two that didn't survive into adulthood, but she was one, she was their last child. And when she was 27, she died. And so, I mean, he was constantly kind of in and out of madness. I think he had pleurisy or something. Don't quote me on that. I <laughs> um, He had some kind of liver disease that caused him to descend into madness, but her dying is kind of what sent him over the edge finally, and he just never recovered. She protected him, but she couldn't be around him. It was just too much for her. So anytime they come in and they're like, the king, and she's like, is he dead? And I was just like, oh my God mm. Because she wasn't like that, but. They also, you could see the the more tender moments where you can tell that she's in pain over the king's madness.
0: Yeah, and and wasn't there also just one throwaway line where he asked her how are the gardens coming along, and wasn't she kind of yes. like well known for re, for doing all the gardens as well?
1: Yes, yeah, she she was the architect behind the Kew Gardens.
0: Another little historical yeah. thing that's like you wouldn't catch it unless, but somebody did their homework. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Right, exactly, and she, I guess if you're going to put the queen in there, they made sure that they got some historical accuracy, Mm. but I actually loved her being in there, too. I love what they did with her, like, again, another secondary character that I did love and I did think was kind of a good addition. And Mm -hmm. Lady Danbury, she played her part amazingly. Oh my gosh.
0: I mean, she just steals every scene. She's wearing those, like, Dracula (laughs) collars. She's
1: just... (laughs) She's like that in the book, too. She steals all the scenes that she's in in the book.
0: (laughs) Oh, she's so great. Yeah. I had a lot to say about the duel which I thought was one Mm -hmm. of the more well-done scenes of the show. Mm -hmm. Just the excitement of it all. Just that final episode scene where the drums start, and it's like, dun-dun-dun-dun, and then Daphne goes, the Duke and I are to be married. (laughs) I was like, whoa! (laughs) (laughs) It was just incredible. I also really loved the fake horseback riding, like I already told you, where it's like, obviously, somebody (laughs) bobbing up and down on a you know, chair with a fan blowing at them. I was so there for it. (laughs) (laughs) And then I actually also watched like a little interview about the, the guy who plays Benedict. He was speaking about the stunt woman who fell off the horse which I don't know how the horse like rode up and nobody noticed until that horse was right between the two dudes. But he was saying like, it was a little scary because she's wearing this big cape and she's falling from this big horse. And you're just like, Oh my gosh. Like that was a pretty cool moment as well. I
1: could not be a stunt woman. So I (laughs) so much props to them. (laughs) Like you want me to do what? No, I'm not falling off a horse. (laughs) Like, it's like when I took ice skating lessons when I was a kid and the first thing they're like okay you have to learn how to fall so fall on the ice and I just looked at this woman like she was daft I was like no and so she was paying attention to all these other people and I just pretended like I was getting up because I'm like I'm not falling falling on the ice (laughs) I was like that makes no sense to me and she's like you have to not be afraid to fall and I was like that's not happening. No. <laughs> <laughs> well oh, that's funny. So yeah, stunt woman, not gonna be me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness.
0: <laughs> I also really loved the dances and the very modern choreography and the incredible camera work. Um that was almost yes. like a music video that some of these scenes there's the dance that I really remember is the one from I think the second episode. There's all this candlelight. The show theme is playing, and Daphne and Simon are just having such a great time, and they're just doing pretty much very simple choreography of this twirling around one another. And it's just so fun mm-hmm. and so energetic, and you you just feel it based on how they filmed it and the atmosphere. It, it's incredible. And then another really amazing dance was when she comes down the steps... And she drops her fan and Prince Friedrich picks it up and they have that dance. And it's this very intimate choreography, which I don't know if that would have even been allowed at the time. But they are touching each other's faces or almost touching it and then moving apart and then coming back close together. And it's, again, these very simple movements. But somehow the choreographer is able to just put so much feeling in this, yeah, very Mm -hmm. kind of pared down... It's just gorgeous to look at. I just loved it.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I thought the dancing was amazing. A lot of times in things like this, they try to make like this big production out of the dancing, and mm-hmm. that's not like historically accurate. They were in very cramped rooms. Oh, <laughs> like I don't know how they dance. I would have died, you know. And and the music just taking modern music oh. and and then turning it instrumental. I was here for it. It was and, wonderful. And, you know, and the, yeah. Like you said, the camera work was just... The flow was so good. Mm-hmm. And I know they had a really good choreographer. And I know that they hired a choreographer for the sex scenes, too. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, The oh. what you said about the music, those those violin arrangements of the pop songs, it, like not only was the music really good, but whoever puts the music into the show... Because we've had a lot of episodes on this podcast where we're like, the score is really good. But whoever put it in the film did not know what they were doing. And the moment Mm -hmm. that I can think of as the very best example is when Daphne and Simon are looking at his mother's favorite painting. And Daphne is describing how that painting makes her feel. I kept expecting, you know, violins to start over her monologue. And it's not until the very Mm -hmm. end when their hands begin to touch that the music starts. And yeah, I was just like, oh, that's something you don't often see where somebody really has that subtlety of not only when to put the right music, but when to not put any sound at all.
1: Yeah. I honestly didn't even recognize the songs as being modern until somebody mentioned it. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's cool. (laughs) And and I think there's some nuances to the show that a lot of people miss. You know, the music, the dancing, you know. A lot of people wouldn't notice, like, you did, like, the camera work for it and the choreography and stuff. And then when Lady Whistledown's doing, like, her voiceovers, and as they're changing through the scenes, I think there's more meaning behind it than people give it.
0: Yes, I didn't realize that until my second watch, that that, that it is yes. put together in a very intelligent way. It is not random, the way those scenes are organized. Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, like, after the questionable scene, a lot of people are like, they don't address it, etc. But um, there was actually the Whistledown voiceover, where she talks about, what is it? Oh, she's talking about Marina um, and about her uh, doing what she has to Mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. But, and she's talking about, you know, basically saying how terrible it is and right or wrong. But she's not showing images Mm -hmm. of Marina. She's showing images of Daphne Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. after what she did. And so, and I think that it's a very nuanced way of addressing the issue that I think a lot of people miss because they're so in their feelings. And I didn't notice it until the second time around mm-hmm. either. But images during voiceovers matter in film.
0: Yes. So yeah. we have to get into that scene. And that is when yeah. Daphne That's realizes how babies come to be and what sperm is and what Simon has been doing, you know, to prevent her right. getting pregnant. Yeah. Um, that
1: whole good old pull-out method, man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Do you want to kind of compare how you feel about that scene in the book versus,
1: versus the show? I will say that when I first read this book, I was, 19, 18, 19 years old. And I did not think twice about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I didn't, it didn't even yeah. register to me as anything. Mm-hmm. When I reread it before the show, I was kind of horrified because in the book, he's drunk as a skunk and she takes advantage of him while he's drunk and she holds on and pulls him to her for dear life and won't let him go. And in modern times, that is straight up. That's just rape. He's drunk, you know. Mm -hmm. There's no way you can sugarcoat that. So, you know, we're all in pins and needles waiting to see how the show addresses it. And at first, I was very much like, hey, I think they did good. You know, I think they addressed it well. I think it's not that big of a deal, et cetera. But the more I thought about it, the more, you know, upon rewatching it, I get what people are saying. But at the same time, they're looking at it through a modern lens. Mm-hmm. And I cannot, no matter how many modern touches they put to the show, I cannot look at this show from a modern lens. I look at it from the viewpoint of being in 1813. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have as much of a problem with it as other people do, just because he did take advantage of her by not telling her the full truth. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say in the book, they talk about it so much more before she does what she does. Like, she... Tries to hash it out with him and talk to him and oh, interesting to get through this with him. Oh, yeah. I did not know you that. You don't get that in the show. Mm. In the show, she just kind of does what she wants. You know, she goes from learning to doing, and then it's just like everything blows up. Mm. And in the book, it's days of talking about it because the whole reason he gets drunk is because she moves out of their room. And won't come back. And uh. she's mad at him. And he gets drunk because he's upset. And then he storms into her room, screaming for her, Where's my wife? And he, she's like, How drunk are you? And he's like, Very. <laughs> uh. I just, I don't feel like it was so much premeditated as she, it was just an opportunity of, mm-hmm. you know, she mm-hmm. had this unexpected opportunity to get what she wanted. And she, in the moment she took it and it's not right but from a woman in 1813 mm-hmm. i mean what else was she gonna do
0: yeah and i think the show actually does a very good job of setting up this theme not only through marina's storyline but also um the dialogue that eloise has about that fear of childbirth and then of course daphne mm-hmm you know asking all the time how are baby's made not just Daphne but other characters mm-hmm. and no one being willing to tell her I think the setup is really great I think the resolution was lacking a little bit in researching this and in coming to kind of my own decision about it and honestly when I was watching the show I didn't think twice about it either about that scene because it is very contradictory you know she he obviously has the power to just pull her off of him. We have been demonstrated that multiple times, that he has the presence of mind to move away or pull out. And it's, it's kind of all over the place, but I also see the writers maybe thinking they did the best they could with it. And I wanted to address kind of what Julia Quinn said about this. This was before the show came out. This was on the 14th of November, and it was in a YouTube video on The Duke and I. And Booktuber uh, Books and Chris reached out to her and got a very lengthy response back. And I will also link that video in the show notes. But Julia Quinn's words on this were, um, it was only as years passed and we gained new understanding of consent that people started to question Daphne's actions, which is exactly what you said, you know, when you read this back in the day, it didn't really pop out at you. And then Quinn also says that women have access to knowledge now that they cannot identify with the powerlessness that Daphne experiences. Um, in the marriage, Simon has all the power, and under of law, she ceases to be a person once she's married. Like, she is literally his property. So he owns her, mm-hmm. and not just in legal power, but also sexual power. And Simon has knowledge that Daphne has been denied based on her gender alone, and Daphne has been taught that her worth not only revolves around her ability to have children, but she actually desires to build a family of her own as well. And she feels that this is her one chance to have children, you know, because he can just choose to never have sex with her again. Quinn says that the sex is consensual, but consent can be withdrawn at any moment. Um, she says that looking back, she would have taken alcohol out of the equation, which is what the show did. And I think just my Mm. personal opinion is the fight that follows in the show is another one of those great writing moments where each person is right. Like every time somebody yells something at the other person, you're like, Oh, I agree with that. Oh, I agree with he's saying, but she's also, you know, right. And I think where the story kind of fails to reconcile that is I think it doesn't give Simon space to address her wrongs. There's a lot of time mm-hmm. of Daphne explaining and trying to convince him, and you have to choose me and I don't think Simon gets the same opportunity to kind of explain you know why this wasn't okay for him
1: yeah, I agree I think and and it's just another part of them removing so much of his character. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel almost like this is like a reverse, you know, thing where, you know, a lot of times in shows, they reduce women to their sexuality, especially historically. And I feel like they kind of done that to Simon.
0: Mm -hmm. Where they objectify him a little too much.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Give him a little more depth. You had all this depth in the story to work with. So, you know.
0: Not only that, there's it. a there's a capable bat- actor there.
1: Yeah, I agree, and and I totally get everybody's perspective on this issue. Yeah, yeah, it's a difficult <laughs> it's, one. It's yeah. like you said, it's just, I mean, short of taking the scene out, and then I don't know how they then play that out. Mm-hmm. I think they did the best they could, mm-hmm. and again. When she's hugging her knees to herself, like, to hold his seed in, Mm -hmm. and they have that voiceover, I think that's when they address that what she did is wrong. But they don't give Simon the opportunity to have his voice heard on it. Yeah. Which, as I think, is where they went wrong. Yeah. So,
0: I think another fun little detail that I did not notice until my second rewatch is the Bridgerton colors are pale blue, and Daphne mm-hmm. starts wearing lavender and purple after they're married, and especially in those scenes where they're very close together or try to reconcile, which is this mixing of, you know, his burgundy colors and her blue colors and kind of making, meshing them together just by the visual medium alone. And I was like, oh, that's another cool that. little detail that I, I did, did not. not- yeah
1: <laughs> I didn't notice that, but you're right. Yeah. Uh, it's just... Film, you know, shows, movies, whatever. It's it's always really interesting how they throw in these, you know, different things that subconsciously, mm-hmm. you know, subconsciously you notice and mm-hmm. make inferences from.
0: Yeah. Um. The only last <laughs> scene I had written down that I really enjoyed was Daphne and Anthony not knowing how to turn on the stove, and I would have been really mad had they known how to do it. I was like, oh, thank God. They're just like these dummies who've never used a stove before.
1: (laughs) I thought that was hysterical. That was great. a very much needed kind of scene of levity to show their sibling relationship. And that was more in line with with their book relationship. Mm. But she's just like, okay, turn it on. And he's like, why would I know how to do this? <laughs> she's like, why would I? You know, and, and so, but instead of calling the servant, she's like, cold milk.
0: <laughs> Though I don't know why they had to drink out of two separate bottles and couldn't just pour them into other glasses. <laughs> uh, that is not uh, health code approved. <laughs> and they just put the milk back. <laughs>
1: I know. I was like, dude, that's a lot of milk for you to do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Was there anything else that we haven't addressed that's turned out to you that you wanted to point out? Gosh, I feel like we've talked about
1: pretty much
0: everything. What are you looking forward to the most in the next season? What do you want them to expand oh. on?
1: I am really looking forward to seeing what they do with the Featheringtons. I'm looking forward to see how the queen plays out in the second one. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see Kate. She's one of my favorite of the um, spouses. I'm excited for who they cast for her and mm. what they do with her. And I'm hoping that they do her justice. Obviously, I'm here for all the wardrobe and music. Just fix the hair. Please <laughs>
0: Yeah, none of us were really into Daphne's very short, meager little bangs. We were like, "What's going on with her oh, fringe?"
1: <laughs> Cressida's forehead is like <laughs> as big as a billboard sign.
0: <laughs> Once you pointed like, that out to me, I like could not look at anything but her
1: forehead. <laughs> and I feel like maybe they did it because she's a bad character, yeah, she's and a mean she comes into play later in the book. Oh. Um, she torments Penelope, um, all the time. Interesting. Yeah. But it's okay. She gets her own Penelope gets her, but, um, (laughs) but that's the only thing I can think of is, is they kind of made her look like one of the ugly stepsisters from Cinderella. (laughs) So
0: perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on Jackie. You were the perfect expert to have for the show. And, um, where can people find you online?
1: well i'm pretty much only on instagram under books with jacks um i have a bookstagram account there where i don't post nearly as often but i am uh, in stories quite a lot so
0: (laughs) oh wonderful thank you so much jackie
1: thank you tabby i had so much fun